Hello and welcome to Making the Game, Concept to Kickstarter, Episode 3. I apologize that this episode was a little late. We're running up to our Kickstarter. We are incredibly excited, but we're also working absolutely flat out right now. Be sure to check out the Kickstarter, Blood Throne, The Tower of Sacrifice. It is going live on January 18th, Thursday in the morning. In this episode, we will focus on answering some of the numerous questions we've been receiving from potential backers. Corvillic Deathshroud asks, is there any chance that a significant way down the line you can run an example game scenario like in an actual play podcast? Well, Mr. Deathshroud, which I assume that is your real name, we have partnered with Play On Studios to film an excellent how to play video, and that will be dropping the day of the Kickstarter campaign, which is January 18th. The video is extremely well produced. Play On is the best in the business, in my opinion, and it does a really good job of showing how the game works, as well as just how much fun it is to play. Additionally, there will be a second video coming out mid-campaign, also with Play On Studios, that shows a PvP game so that people can get an idea for how that game mode works as well. Joel T asks, what will the FAQ process look like? We plan to have quarterly FAQs, which will be released one on the Blood Throne website and two on the Blood Throne companion app, which we are still currently developing. This will allow us to react to any game imbalances as they come up, and give players a routine that they can get used to in regards to rules updates. Joel T also asks, what is the estimated delivery date? We plan to fulfill the first wave of the core game and the Gorgontis expansion by December. The hero expansion, the second expansion in the Kickstarter, of which there are two, will fulfill after that with likely a two to three month lag time as we will be making the molds for that expansion after we finish the molds for the core game and the Gorgontis expansion, which are both being done as I speak. We feel confident in these timelines due to the fact that we've front loaded so much of the work. The game is essentially done, as I mentioned in a previous podcast. We only have a few minor components left to design, such as the stickers for the campaign map, and we need to finalize the book layouts for the rulebook, the quick play guide, and the campaign workbook. But we are actively working on those as I speak, and we already have the first few sample page layouts done. However, as this is our first game, there are things that will come up that we did not anticipate. And if for any reason our timelines are pushed back, we will clearly communicate with the Kickstarter community exactly what is going on so that everyone is looped in at all times. Keith G asks, does the game use dice or cards like Gloomhaven? Blood Throne uses custom D8s. We color coded them to make things extremely easy to know when to use which dice. For example, blue dice are always for defense. White dice are always for offense. Red dice are for critical hits and extremely powerful abilities. And orange dice are for rolling for actions, similar to what D20s do in a game like D&D. We spent a long time and tried many, many different systems to come up with a mathematical model for actions and damage that we felt was both fun and balanced. One of the core principles we decided to base the game around was the idea that actions should usually succeed. So we weighted the odds in the favor of the acting player. One of the things I've always found frustrating about playing RPGs is how weak your characters are in the early levels. Now, that is totally fine in those genres because a part of the fun is the sense of gaining power that you get as you play an RPG. However, if you look at the data from games like Dungeons & Dragons, the average party doesn't go past level four. 
So in effect, the high level abilities don't usually get used by the average player. Thus, we decided to front load our heroes to be really strong at level one and get incrementally better as they level up. This serves multiple purposes. For one, in our game, the heroes are exceptional individuals. They represent the cream of the crop from their respective factions. So we wanted them to feel strong right away and also to have their signature abilities available to them at level one to clearly define their role in the party. A perfect example of this is the Druid class represented by Mossbeard in the box game. He has Call Lightning as his signature ability. We call it their class ability at level one. And it's an AOE long ranged attack. It does a lot of damage and it scales up with the druid as he levels up. We'll explain that in further detail in another episode, but you can use feats, which are passive buffs, to increase your stats and also to increase some of your signature skills. Further, as the game has a PvP element, we didn't want to have a giant discrepancy in power between a level 5 and a level 3 character, for example. If you are playing in PvP mode against friends, and the way it works is that you can play a one-off game skirmish mode, or you can play in campaign mode, such as at a tournament or in a weekly ongoing campaign with your friends. If one of your buddies is getting ahead of you on levels, we didn't want to have a PvP match where it was a total wipeout. So that's why we opted for this system where you start strong and take little steps as you level up to get incrementally better, also allowing you to customize your playstyle with each individual hero. On that note, just to give it a little bit more explanation, as you level up, you have a choice for feats at each level. You gain HP every odd level and you get new skills every even level. What this does is allow you to completely customize your hero to your taste. An example of this would be the fighter class represented by Ajax in the box game who has two branching skill trees. He can emphasize offense or defense. So if you want to make him super tanky, you can. If you want to make him hit even harder, you can. You can do a blend of both. And then as his tertiary skill tree, he has modest crowd control abilities primarily in his ability to stun monsters or other models or to taunt them. A monster or other model that is taunted has to attack Ajax it's a pretty common ability with fighters, but it lets him serve his role as the party tank very effectively. For each class, we went to great pains to give them both common abilities that you would be familiar with, such as Cleave on the Barbarian, and then unique abilities that you may not have seen on the classes before to give them a little bit of extra flair. You can choose which of these you wish to explore as you level up your hero. Additionally, in the hero expansion, when you can make your own heroes from scratch, you can really go crazy with the options. You assign stat points. You can also assign their gear. For example, if you want a fighter with a light armor, spear, and a shield, as opposed to a fighter like Ajax with heavy armor, a sword, and a shield, you can. The possibilities are truly endless. As we move forward into the game and explore the factions, one of the things that's really fun about Blood Throne is that we don't have, say, an elf faction or a dwarf faction. Every faction has tons of different kinds of variety in it so that thematically you can explore what it's like to have a pirate dwarf. That's one of the things that we think will make Blood Tone really unique and fun for players. Within each faction, you have a ton of variety to go crazy with all the different options for coming up with your own unique heroes united by a common theme 
for each faction. The last point on that note, each faction will have some unique races and multiple unique classes so that there's a ton of variety available, but we'll get into that as the game unfolds and we move forward. First of all, we got to get this Kickstarter funded so that we can get the game out there and realize our grand vision for what we want to do with Bloodthrone. As another part of our core philosophy, we think it's fun to roll lots of dice. We'd actually started out using kind of like D&D style dice where like a sword would do D8 damage or etc. A dagger does D4. The issue that we had with that in practice is that something like a longbow that would traditionally do a d10 damage because you have just as much probability of rolling a 10 as you do a 1 we found that it could be unfun for example if you have a ranger like gray wolf in the game who can shoot anything within line of sight that's what long range is in blood throne you could plink a wizard from the back of the board and if you got lucky and rolled a 10 you just maybe just one shot him which we found wasn't very fun so what we did instead was take a close look at the way video games do damage where it's like a narrower range of probability and the way we resolved that was by using lots of dice with less variety so what that means is i will use a hypothetical example if instead of a, a sword doing d8 damage we have dice that can give you a zero a one or a two damage and you roll four of them in effect what this means is that you're going to get a result in the middle of the bell curve you're more likely to do for example five damage extremely unlikely to do zero or eight malcolm f asks does the game use free range movement or a grid blood throne uses a grid for movement and then we have measuring widgets for measuring ranged attacks and actions initially we had used free range movement meaning you can move in any direction using a measuring tool such as a measuring tape or ruler however we found that the game works much easier and is much more precise with a grid it's a long and funny story for another time but we literally spent almost a month trying to decide between using hexes and a grid and it's actually very nuanced and complex between those two things but it's a very crunchy very mechanics oriented discussion but we'll dive into that in a future episode because there's a lot more there than you would think at first glance further it took us almost two weeks to decide on how we were going to go about being diagonally using squares again it's much more complex than you would think but in the end we decided to go with the simpler solution which is going diagonal counts as two squares of movement we'll dive into all that in a future episode where we really really drill down into the mechanics but it's funny how long some of these things take when you really explore all the different ideas and options alex y asks somewhat humorously what is being sacrificed in the game chickens goats or his friend ben well, all jokes aside, it's a good question. So in the lore of the game, the overgods have been destroyed. When the goddess of creation, Zenith, died, she cast her body into the mortal realm as a final act to avoid it being used by her murderer. When her body fell to the earth, her bones were potent cosmic artifacts, and they were used to form the blood throne. Now, the story is much more involved than that. That's just sort of a 30,000 feet above. But with the Blood Throne, bad actors in the world of Chael were able to forcibly extract the essence of sentient beings called Kith and use it to extend their own lifespan, give them greater power, and to perform incredible feats of engineering and magic. Now, unfortunately, the use of Devathe, as it is called, is corrupting, and that's why someone like the primary villain in the board game, Belphegor, looks like a giant demon when he was once a man. Winnington M. asks, 
how much will the box cost? His guess was between two and $300 based on the quality and amount of content in the game. That was actually a very good guess. The box, the core game, will retail for $250. In the Kickstarter, it will be available at a discounted price. We will also have a selection of early bird pledge levels that are limited quantity that will be even further discounted. So it's a great reason to back the Kickstarter as you can get the core game expansions. We also have some fun add-ons all at discounted prices compared to what they will sell for at full retail. Also, you will be able to get the game early. Kickstarter backers will have it far before it will be available in retail. And you'll be able to join the community and help give direct feedback to the developers so that you can help shape the game that you want to play. Thank you so much for tuning in to Making the Game Concept of Kickstarter Episode 3. I apologize, this one was a little late and a little short, but we are absolutely going flat out as our Kickstarter is going to debut in three days. I cannot believe it. I'm excited, more than a little scared, but mostly just can't wait to see this project we've been working on for almost six years get into the hands of fellow gamers and hopefully see the joy that it brings them, as that is why I went on this journey in the first place. We hope that you join us on this journey. Consider backing the Kickstarter. And hopefully, I'll be able to play a game of Blood Throne with you myself one day. We will have full support for the game at all of our various tournaments and conventions all around the United States, and hope to see it branch out and grow into a thriving community. Thank you for listening, and I will talk to you on the next episode of Making the Game from Concept to Kickstarter, which it will probably be a bit delayed as we're going to be very busy at the Las Vegas Open Convention and, of course, managing the launch of our Kickstarter. Talk to you next time.